Hey everyone, welcome to episode 39 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Ginny Wu and Andrew Brown. Uh, how have your weeks been? Been a bit of a busy one for games, I see. Very busy, yeah. So little time. So many games. Mm. Uh, and I think we've, with that, we've got a bit of a packed episode for you this week, so let's just get straight on to the latest Switch news. Hey, only one bit of news which uh, broke this morning as I was waking up. Uh, the basically Warframe, the sort of shared space MMOE thing, is coming to Switch courtesy of Panic Button, who recently just worked wonders with Doom and Wolfenstein. Uh, either of you two interested in this one? Not particularly. I am not really into Warframe conceptually. I don't know if it's Andrew's kind of game or not, but it's never really kind of piqued my interest. I'm glad that more variety is coming, but it's not going to be for me. Hesitantly, from what I've seen of it, it looks a lot like the raid mode in Resident Evil Revelations 2, but apparently there's a lot more crafting aspects to it. But I'm worried about how its monetization is going to work. I don't know if I'm going mm. to be interested in playing it to the extent that I have to or sinking money into it to bypass that necessity. And on top of that, you know, we got Warframe, we've got Fortnite, we've got Arena of Valor soon, we've got uh, the Elder Scrolls card game coming out. The free games are coming to Switch now, and there's not time to play all of them. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. We'll have to see when it comes out how I feel about it. From uh, my perspective, I tried it on PS4 uh, when PS4 first came out. It was free, why not? Uh, and apparently it was a very different game back then. It was more of a cooperative third-person shooter, whereas I've heard it described more recently as like Destiny but good. Oh. Uh, and whenever people talk about the free-to-play model, they always point at this one as one that is decent, certainly comparatively to Fortnite as well, so... I think it's going to be a good one to have on the system. I think people will love it. It is really popular. Uh, I think people will love having that option of being able to play it around the house and not being tied to their TVs. I'm interested to see what happens with their existing accounts, whether we'll see some sort of cross-play or at least like progress mm. carryover. Otherwise, that might prevent people from trying it. But yeah, that's a, it's interesting. Uh, let's see how, how well Panic Button do with something that's multiplayer. So, yeah. And that's all we've got news-wise this week, so let's uh, get on to what we've been playing. Bit of a packed one. Okay, so first up is uh, Limbo and Inside, which I've been playing this week. Uh, Limbo I've played three times before, once on 360, once on Vita, and I was all too happy to play it once more on Switch. Andrew, have you played this one? I, I sort of feel like this is one you'd have strong opinions on. No, I haven't. I've always wanted to, but I uh, just haven't. Probably will play it on Switch when it gets a decent sale. Uh, so for those who aren't aware about Limbo, it's a very, very bleak puzzle platformer with very simplistic black and white visuals. Uh, it has almost kind of like a a rotoscope effect, but not quite. Uh, and basically, you're this little boy who's apparently in search for his sister, and you have to navigate this uh, landscape full of pretty much everything that's trying to kill you. There's 
a really interesting like wading on the character which plays into some of the physics in the, the game later on. Basically everything in the world is out to kill you and the first time you'll encounter a puzzle will be it will kill you and then you have to work around how to have it not kill you. It's not quite as, say, unforgiving as uh, it's like a Celeste or a Super Meat Boy. It's not that style of game. Uh, but it is it is super interesting. Those who have played it will know what I'm talking about when I say the spider is horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's all basically going left to right trying to solve all these puzzles. It does a lot of things to try and like unnerve you. Uh, not just in terms of the spider. It's visual style. It has like a flicker effect, which for some reason I forgot happened and I was convinced it was my TV's like eco mode playing up, even though it was switched off, but it wasn't. <laughs> There's no music in the game at all. It's all just really eerie, atmospheric noises, and that's sort of worse than scary music some- somehow. I really like it. A lot of people who didn't like it think it's a bit vapid. Um, I can see why, but I've I've played it three times. I've always enjoyed playing it. Ginny, have you played this one before? I've played it before, a long time ago, I think, when it first came out. And I kind of had the same feeling as you, that it was just more unnerving. Just the stark art style as well, and the constant threat of being, I guess, chased and feeling very helpless. That's what I like in a game that's meant to be scary or like a horror game, I guess is I know Limbo isn't overtly a horror game the sense that lots of mainstream horror games are, but I still think it evokes that sense of helplessness and fear very effectively. So it's one of my favourite small games of all time. I probably will pick it up when I have a little bit more time. It's a very short game. I know it doesn't take very long to finish, if that's what other people are curious about. But Yeah, I, I finished it in one, one go again. Yeah, I think I finished it three times in one go, to be honest. So... <laughs> Um, sorry, that's three times separately <laughs> from start to finish, not three times in one session. Um, and yeah, so that brings us on to Inside, which is basically limbo with a budget, I would say. Mm. Uh, so it starts off quite explosively with uh, a little boy running through the woods. This is your character. And over the course of the game, you try and work out what he's running from if he's running from anything uh, and why people are after him it goes to some weird places to say the least Uh, and a lot of what happens is told through environmental storytelling and then the ending is completely up for interpretation Uh, I have my thoughts on what happens yeah the last couple of uh, sections of that game are really wild (laughs) Based on the fact you haven't played Limbo, I assume you haven't played this one, Andrew? I have not. Cool. And Ginny? I have not played this one either. Okay, I definitely recommend it if you enjoyed Limbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I prefer the puzzles in, in Inside. I think they're more more fun or more interesting. Uh, there could be some things that ties it to Limbo. I don't want to say too much because yeah, yeah, don't spoil you really me. Have don't to spoil ex- me. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely have to experience it because it's very, very dark and very weird. Cool. And yeah, so I definitely recommend people give that one a go. Now uh, on to something a bit more colourful. Andrew, you've been playing the Crash Bandicoot Insane trilogy. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not very enthusiastically. I haven't been enjoying it at all. <laughs> oh. Oh no. I think it's interesting to go back and look at the context these games existed in when they were new because 3D platformers were still new back then and they still hadn't really been solidified into what we know them as today with really familiar concepts and control schemes. Like uh, Super Mario 64, I think, was developed concurrently with this game, with uh, the original Crash Bandicoot. So they both have very different ideas of what a 3D platformer can be. Crash Bandicoot, rather than having it so you can move in 360 degrees in a wide open environment as Super Mario 64 went to, uh, instead just reimagines the idea of a platformer being from moving from left to right or right to left, but also moving from the front of the screen to the back of the screen or vice versa. And when it works, it does work pretty well. Some of the levels where you're running away from like a boulder or from a killer polar bear, those are actually pretty fun levels for the most part. The problem is the hit detection. I don't know if I would say the hit detection isn't good, but it's often difficult to gauge how close enemies are to you or where exactly a platform is relative to you. So you jump and you end up jumping straight into a pit because the platform looked like it was a 45 degree angle from you, but actually was quite a ways away from you further than that. Or you think an enemy is still quite far away from you, but no, actually they're right behind you and then they hit you and you die. And that was the main problem I ran to in the first Crash Bandicoot, which was just a miserable game for me. I did not enjoy playing it at all. Not least because the extra life system in it is just completely pointless. It adds nothing to the game except to make you waste a lot of time replaying stuff that you've already done because you couldn't beat the levels with the arbitrary amount of extra lives that it gives you. And you know how when you're playing some platformers, you'll come across a particularly difficult section, but you know, there's a, an extra life stuck in there. I think we actually ran into that in Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, where some of the harder platforming sections were made a lot easier because you could keep trying them because you could keep grabbing that extra life every time. Did, did you guys run into that in those games? Yeah, yeah I had that a couple of times, yeah. yeah. Crash Bandicoot doesn't do that. When you get an extra life, that extra life disappears for the rest of that game until you get a game over. So if you get an extra life once, then that's the only time you're going to get it until you get a game over and try the level over again. It's just Ouch. aggravating. I... I talked about this on this podcast a lot. I complained about this on this podcast a lot. Is that extra lives almost always add absolutely nothing of value to a game. This has been true since at least the 16-bit era, and Crash Bandicoot is a great example of why. Uh, I've only beaten the first two now. Uh, the second one I liked quite a bit better than the first one, but it still ran into a lot of problems that were... Not as bad as in the first game, but they were still bad enough that I just I didn't enjoy playing the game at all. So you've beaten both? I've beaten both of them now. I'm going to start the third one just to get through it and get it over with, but I'm not <laughs> I'm not imagining that I'm going to have a good time with it at all at this point. I've been very disappointed in the Crash Bandicoot Insane trilogy. Wow. I wonder how you'd go with the Spyro trilogy, or does this put you completely off trying that now? I played the first Spyro the Dragon, actually. I didn't play it when it was new, but I did play it 
around the time the PlayStation 2 came out, and I actually really like the first Spyro the Dragon. I would be very happy to play the trilogy if it ever comes to Switch. Okay, uh, let's talk about something that Ginny's been playing, uh, Nico Para. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, well, this is going to be a complete 180 in tone from the other stuff that we've just talked about. So Nico Para is actually a little bit infamous. It is a visual novel. I guess not now the first on the Switch because we did have a very good one. I think it was last year or earlier this year where it swapped the roles of men and women in feudal Japan. And that was quite a good visual novel. This one is a visual novel that is the kind of visual novel I think that a lot of people kind of think all visual novels are like. So if you're someone that's ever gone on the internet and gone, oh god, what are those anime nerds up to again? This is probably the result of those anime nerds getting together and making a, a final product. For those that don't know, the name, as it suggests, Nekopata, is about... The, the the game is about cat girls. It's, it's about cat girls. <laughs> and you, are, you play as the titular main character. You inherit your granddad's cat cafe. And by cat cafe, I mean cat girls running a cafe. And um, you have to basically make the most of a bad situation in life and turn your family cafe into a success. So obviously there are a host of issues here about female representation, which I'm going to ignore because this is not the podcast for it now. (laughs) It is, as you can tell, a visual novel, which is basically like a harem anime. You have uh, your shop of cat girls and they help you run your cat cafe. And along the way, you meet other cat girls and other people that own cat girls and the story continues. There are a bunch of anime tropes in there, like everyone of the girls calls you master because you are technically their master, that's how it works in this anime universe. There are some um, young looking characters, some characters that look maybe too young, some other characters are a bit more sundere or yandere, and characters with a very dirty mind. So basically every bad anime trope that you've seen in any anime and gone, oh, bit cringy, it's all there. It is not something that I can recommend to a wide audience. To be honest, I can't even recommend it to myself. (laughs) Not that it's a bad game, but it's just such a one-note game. Like, the game makes it very clear that this is your life. You own cat girls. That's the universe. And the whole game is really just reading pages of your own visual novel about this world where your cat women are really, really into you physiologically and psychologically and emotionally. So there's not much actual playing. Like I said, it's a VN. You just kind of read scenes. And there's really not a lot of opportunities to do anything with the story or to make your own mark on the story. It all kind of feels very preordained. So there's not a lot of gameplay, um, if that's what you're looking for in, in a visual novel, which you shouldn't be. But I mean, there are great examples of games like Edo Blossoms and Hakuoki, which actually incorporate history and learning into them. This is not one of them. I am glad in a roundabout way that it's on the Switch because this is definitely a very adult game. Don't let the bright colours put you off. This is a very adult game. If there are any parents listening to this, I know the game looks cute on the eShop, but please do not buy this for your children. This is not a game for kids. It is very explicit in its subtext and also what the characters are saying. And it's A lot of stuff is hinted at and not really kind of displayed, but it's there. It's very adult. But I think it does show that the Switch is now moving away from Nintendo's previous child-friendly image and that we could get all manner of games on here now, not just shooty-bang games or FIFA 
now we've got some of the stuff that maybe the Steam store was trying to ban making its way onto the Switch. So I don't know if that's a great thing. I mean, it's a good thing for consumer choice. I don't know if that's really the market that the Switch wants to bring with it into the future. But, I mean, if you ever wanted to read a dirty visual novel on the train in handheld mode on a bigger screen than your phone, you can now do it. So, more <laughs> power to you. <laughs> wow. Mm. Can't see Andrew running to the shop for that one. Nah. <laughs> I don't think they sell physical copies of this game. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's an appropriate noise, I think, mm. based on what we've just heard. Yeah, that's how we all feel. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, I believe you've been visiting uh, Infinite Minigolf. Yeah, this is made by Zen Studios, who made that Pinball FX3 game that I love so much. I didn't know they made anything but pinball games. Oh, apparently they also made Infinite Minigolf. And, uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It has kind of the same philosophy that they bring to pinball, where it's something that's familiar as a physical object in our world, but they are able to break the rules of it on the account of it being a video game. They do that with pinball, and they've also doing that here with mini golf, which offers pretty basic mini golf courses, but with things like firing them into cannons or having them thrown on a shovel being wielded by a yeti, things like that. But <laughs> the thing that makes Infinite Mini Golf kind of stand out is that it also has a lot of user-generated content in it. There is a course creator in it, and you can play the courses in a bunch of different themes, like a pirate theme or a Santa's Workshop theme or uh, a mini... A, not a miniaturized, but like a, a giant-sized house theme you know, with things like this, it's got the Super Mario Maker effect where 90% of the levels are not very good. You can tell the person didn't try very hard. They just slap something together and then hit upload. But there's still some good stuff in there if you put in the effort to find it. Uh, there is a portal that you can explore to find the best stuff rather than just hitting the quick find option. And as a mini golf game, you know, it's perfectly competent. Uh, it's got it's got a swing meter in it, but it's difficult to really gauge how hard the ball is going to be hit and how far it's going to travel just by looking at the swing meter. You kind of have to just play with it and learn to eyeball things. That's a little disappointing. It's not going to really be a, a technical game, I think, but I think this is more just something you can play for fun when you have some time free and you just want to fill that time with something. You can just see what the newest courses are up there uh it's called infinite mini golf but there's actually thirty thousand courses up there uploaded now something like that it's it has the number on it when the game is booting up uh it's it's all right i am not thinking i'll be returning to it but it's well animated and i got it on sale for like five bucks so if it goes on sale again i think it's worth that price nice it was one i hovered over a lot in the switch early days when there was uh, less coming out. Remember those days? <laughs> I long for those days. Yeah. Uh, you've also been playing Bleed and Bleed 2. Do you want to tell us about those? Uh, what are they? <laughs> yeah. Bleed and Bleed 2 are a pair of platformer slash twin stick shooters, and they are by far the best games that I've played this week. 
They are very arcade in their uh, style. They You can beat them both in under an hour. They only have a handful of levels each. It's just a fun game to play. It's a fun game to learn how to play. And it is a twin-stick shooter, and it's also a platformer, so you have to double-jump around, and you have to make sure you're shooting in the right place. And there's all kinds of bullet storms to dodge through and just intricate enemy attacks you have to learn to slide under or leap over. It's not unlike Mega Man in that way, but it's obviously even more hectic than Mega Man, but at the same time, not as hard as Mega Man, I would say. Yeah. yeah. You can get through this about an hour on normal difficulty, but then there are other difficulties to play on. There's all kinds of new weapons and upgrades to unlock. Uh, there's new characters to play through. Uh, Bleed was very good just by itself, but Bleed 2 even adds a permanent, permanently equipped blade weapon that the main character can use to actually reflect shots back at enemies, which adds a whole new layer of skill to the game, which I found a lot more engaging. I would definitely rank Bleed 2 higher than Bleed 1, but they're both really good games. I enjoyed my time with them immensely. Cool. I can't get my head around twin-stick shooting and platforming at the same time. Yeah, that just seems very difficult. Just just conceptually, it just sounds very difficult. I was worried about it, but you know, once I sat down and started playing it, I slipped right into it. I did not have a problem. Oh. The other one I've been playing has been Ease 8, Lacrimosa of Dana. So this is early impressions only. The first chance I had to play it was this morning. I've played it for probably about two hours. I'm really enjoying it, but there's, there's some funny things that happen early on. So I have to laugh at the exposition that takes place within the first ten minutes. So your your main character, he's on a boat, and his friend walks up to him and he's just like hey, we've got a pretty sweet deal here with them letting you work as a guard and me working the cargo hold. <laughs> like that, That's the sort of level of ex- oh, exposition you, you're dealing with. And then they, they happen to mention a place name and someone goes, oh, hey, you're not going to this place name, are you? Because there's that war, you know, between these two factions I'm going to name in full as if they haven't got any shorthand or anything. <laughs> it's hard not to roll your eyes at that a little bit. Mm. Uh, but once it gets going and past that it, it's pretty good so far uh, so basically you get shipwrecked on this mysterious island there's these creatures that do it that are called sirens not sirens you sort of set about trying to map the island and set up a camp it's pretty fun the combat is really good it's it's action orientated it's got like a dodge mechan- mechanic similar to Bayonetta it doesn't slow down time but it allows you to do more damage if you just dodge an attack by the skin of your teeth uh, and then it's got these uh, skill systems which work very similar to Xenoblade Chronicles 2 so you have skills that you can earn they, they were arts in Xenoblade so basically you use the skills, you build up another meter and then you can do like big flashy finishes uh, and it moves along at quite a pace so I don't feel like it's holding anything back for me like Okay, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I, I felt that Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was pretty well paced early on. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people that disagree with that. That's <sighs> fine. Uh, but this is this is, <laughs> this is is definitely a lot quicker. Oh, you're going to love this for the, the jumping noises, Andrew. You, you, you jump and it does like a sword slice effect. And it makes no sense at all. I cannot think of what's meant to be making the noise. It's just like they've gone, we need a jump noise. This will do. 
but aside from those things it's, it is really cool the music is utterly fantastic so it's got the mixture of the, the usual orchestral jrpg stuff and it's also got a lot of the j-poppy rock stuff that you find in the likes of like hyrule warriors uh, i did have to have a laugh at the uh, the character names so they did that jrpg thing of like taking a normal name oh, and no. just changing one letter oh, no. so there's someone called there's a guy called Kathew. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, the the main character is called Adol, oh. which is a little close to Adolf yeah. for my liking, especially having come off the back of Wolfenstein Two. So I can't help but think of a particular scene oh. from Wolfenstein every time they mention his name. Oh. But aside from those things, it's got like this. It's got all the rhythms and the trappings and the patterns that I like about JRPGs. So I can see me spending a lot of time with it so far. The problem is that Octopath Traveler comes out next week and I'm going to have to shelve it for that because I don't think there's a, a contest. So that's early impressions. I'll, I'll fill you in more once I get to play more of it, probably next week. Um, and lastly, the other big release that came out in the last week, or since we recorded anyway. Uh, Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle Donkey Kong Adventure. Uh, I definitely want to pick this up. I was kind of hoping I would find time, but Wolfenstein went on a little bit longer than I expected. I had a couple of nights where I was just too tired to play anything, so that's that resulted in that. Andrew, you've been playing it. Have you finished it yet? Yeah, I finished it this afternoon, about five hours before we started recording. Is any good? You can really tell that this add-on exists as a response to the core Mario plus Rabbids game because I thought the core Mario plus Rabbids game was pretty inconsistent in its difficulty until I discovered that the most overpowered character in the game is Rabbid Luigi because he's also (laughs) not only really powerful by himself, he's also the best healer in the game. So then I booted up the Donkey Kong Adventure, which is actually a completely separate side story that exists completely separate from the core game as far as the upgrades and the weapons that you have access to. You, you really have to start from scratch in this mode. And it gives you three characters. It gives you Rabbit Peach from the core game, and it also gives you Donkey Kong and Rabbit Cranky Kong, who are completely <laughs> original characters. And you don't have Rabbit Luigi and you don't have Vamp Dash. So it completely changed up the way I was playing the game. Nevertheless, and I don't know if this is because I've just learned how to play Mario plus Rabbids at a higher level since I started playing it last year, or if it actually is easier, but I had an easier time getting through this DLC than I did getting through the core Mario plus Rabbids game, even without access to the Vamp status effect. No, I have heard it's a little easier. Okay. Uh, but but then the same person had hypothesized that maybe it's just because they knew how to play it from before. Mm. But well, that that's the same situation I'm in. So yeah, from from the from the accounts I've I've heard, I think it is meant to be a little yeah. easier. But still, even if it is easier, and one of the ways it is much easier is in every like sequence and like every sub chapter in each of the four main chapters of the DLC. There's actually only one battle in each subchapter, whereas in the core game there was often two or three. So you only have to do one battle in this, and then your entire team gets refreshed, which 
helps a lot in, as opposed to the core game where you either had to bring in your preferred team but they were damaged or you had to swap in another character who you maybe haven't developed as well or just don't know how to use as well. This focuses on just these three characters through the entire game, which I think really helps to solidify the strategy that you bring to it. Because Donkey Kong and Rabbit, uh, Rabbit Cranky both bring really like original skills. They're not just reimaginings of characters from the core game. They are very original. Like Donkey Kong can really jump and he actually has special movement pads that only he can use that let him move across pretty much the entire map on most of the courses that it appears on and he can also pick anything up uh, he can pick up an enemy rabbit he can pick up one of his ally rabbits or he can even pick up some of the cover items and he can use them all as projectiles so it's basically yeah, oh, it's wow. basically weapon wow. weaponizing the team jump and you can actually even get even more fun with that because one of Rabid Cranky's abilities is when he does the team jump boost off of somebody, when he lands, he actually fires his shotgun on the way down and deals the ice status effect on enemies. If you set yourself up correctly, you can actually have Donkey Kong grab Rabid Cranky, throw him into a group of enemies where he'll shotgun them. Then Rabid Cranky can actually take his turn and actually use his movement turn to jump off another ally's head and do that again so just like in the core game if you are strategizing well and you're developing your characters well you can do a lot of damage just by running around the map before you even fire your weapon okay i want to yeah. play this <laughs> i don't know when but i, I really want to yeah. play it <laughs> like i was worried that i was gonna be stuck with rabid peach as my primary healer but really i got through most of it just not even healing most of the time it's not as hard if you know the tricks, like especially if you know to that most of your damage is gonna be coming not from guns but from dash damage, which was yeah. like that was the biggest learning curve I had in Mario Plus Rabbids. I was trying to play it like XCOM, and mm -hmm. once once I quit doing that, I started doing a lot better. <laughs> but Donkey Kong Adventure adds a whole campaign that took me about six hours to get through. It's about a third of the length of the core game. But it also has a whole the challenge maps to come afterwards that I haven't even begun to dig into yet. I tried one of them. I got my butt kicked. So there's definitely challenge there. And it adds original characters that completely reimagine how the game is played from a strategic viewpoint. You know, no longer relying on Rabbit Luigi to get everything done. Uh, I think it's totally worth it if you are a fan of Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. Ready? Go! Okay, time once again for Smash Brothers predictions for the upcoming Switch release. Uh, mine this week is that we're going to have an entirely new single player mode. I don't know what form that takes but I'm thinking something along the lines of Hyrule Warriors. Uh, yeah, that's that's it for me. Uh, Ginny, uh, yours, I just have to ask what you have against the little mushroom fella. Um, it's entirely a feud from Mario Tennis Aces and also some lifelong trauma involving mushrooms from Dark Souls and <laughs> mushrooms in a D&D &D campaign. 
But I don't know. I just maybe we can get like a toe trophy that we can kick around or throw or just. I just. Uh, I just can't stand him. Just some way for me to vent about how awful Toto's been to me in Tennis Aces would be great. I'm sure we'll get some kind of weird looking trophy to bully him with. I like the sound of that. And Andrew? I was thinking back on the Masterpieces option that was in Super Smash Bros. Brawl that it was kind of dumb in that game actually because it was timed demos of the games that a lot of the characters originated in so like you could play Ocarina of Time for five minutes and I was like okay <laughs> I I didn't <laughs> I didn't interact with that mode at all because I already owned those games but you know I'm thinking about it now like this is literally just occurring to me as I'm talking like you know if I was like eight when that game came out and ocarina of time was something that happened like four years before i was born and i'd never had a chance to play it you know actually i think i might have appreciated masterpieces mode a little bit more but my concept for what's coming in smash ultimate is they're going to expand that masterpieces mode into the nintendo online service where there's going to be some kind of enhancement towards the NES games that are going to be included in that service, and okay. they're going to interact with the Smash Brothers game somehow. I have no idea, specific ideas, but I think that we're going to see the online service and the Ultimate Masterpieces mode interacting in some way. We already know that the Nintendo online service is going to be the big selling point for Smash Ultimate. They're probably going to launch more or less concurrently. So I think that it would be smart if they did this. Mm. I like the sound of that. Okay, folks, what are we playing this coming week? Let's start with Andrew. Why don't we just uh, all say Octopath Traveler is what we're all playing mm-hmm. next week. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be playing all the JRPGs. I'll be carrying on with Ease 8, I'll be playing Octopath. I've decided I'm going to do the demo after all. Probably on Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for impressions on that. I've put myself in a position where I'm playing four JRPGs at once. You fool! Across three platforms. Yeah. So, let's see how that goes. But, yeah, definitely Octopath is going to take over from Ease 8 Mm -hmm. as soon as it's able. Uh, And is it just Octopath for you as well, Jenny? Yeah, Octopath and Toad as well. Treasure Tracker. Yes, of course. I will play a little bit of that before the podcast next week. Hi all, thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed our episode, please leave us a review on iTunes because it's really going to help us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn and other podcast services as well. And if you want to, you can join our Discord server to interact with our lively Switch Focus community, and we'll put the links for you in the show notes. You can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. If you want to also support the show in a different way, you can now buy us a coffee, and we'll leave the details for that on our website. Individually, you can follow Andy at, at Toast, Andrew is at PlayCritically, also streaming at twitch.tv slash playcritically, where he'll stream pretty much all the games we talk about on the show and I'm Ginny at Ginny Woes. Right, bye!
Cool. Uh, actually, I think I remember this on the the eShop. Is this the one with like the Gears of War locust looking fella on the front? No. <laughs> it's got a pink haired girl with two pistols on the front. <laughs> <laughs> what am I thinking of? I haven't. Butcher. I, yeah, Butcher. I of Butcher. Yeah. yeah. Feel free to cut that part out, Andrew. <laughs> sure. 